Welcome to Road Noise. Buckle up as we explore God's faithfulness, reflecting on 50 years of full-time ministry. We're taking lessons from the unique life and ministry of Sheldon and Victoria Rhodes as they share the gospel crisscrossing North America. I'm your host, Kedron Rhodes, and each episode, I sit down with my dad, Sheldon, and we travel back in time, retracing the lessons God was teaching and mapping them to life today. This scenery may have changed, but God's faithfulness remains the same. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Road Noise. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Road Noise. And I'm glad you've joined Dad and I here as we continue our trek back from Alaska. Uh, Mom and Dad have spent a better part of a what three four years something up there something like that up up north and are moving back down to lower 488 and dad's been on a journey with my uncle dan and they've been down the alaskan highway and i think the last time we chatted dad we were just getting across the border probably in north dakota called back home let mom know that you're on your way so that's kind of where we put it in park last time but take it away hey that's exactly where we left off but uh what would any uh, road trip be if it didn't have a detour? And so uh, today I'm thinking, let's take a detour, um, kind of leave the van and your Uncle Dan uh, parked here at the North Dakota border. And um, let me run back to Alaska and cover a couple of things that uh, we haven't talked about uh, in any of the previous uh, broad, yeah, podcast. And so um, does that sound like a plan? We'll take a detour. Let's take a detour. Now, this is just a metaphorical detour. You're not actually driving back to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, uh, we're going to do all of this in my mind. I'm not even going to jump on a plane and get back up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. But uh, yeah, there was a, a couple of uh, things that I think are worth mentioning uh, uh, while we're living there in Alaska. And one was one of those was another uh, friend that we met uh, there at the church, uh, Bob and Betty Tucker. Uh, Bob, I believe, was in his 80s at that time, and he's with the Lord now, and so is Betty. But um, this is another man that uh, really left a, a great impression on me. Um, again, was somewhat of a mentor in different areas, and just a man that loved the Lord and was willing to serve. And I think we did talk about um, Bob uh, picking up a, a kid that lived up in his area and bringing him to church yeah, and so forth. Sure enough. That was Bob. All right. That was Bob. And um, let me just tell you a little bit about Bob. Um, near as I can remember, Bob actually worked for the state of Alaska and his job was kind of a unique one. He got to travel all over the state. And as he did, uh, his job was to collect minerals from you know, different rock formations and riverbeds and so forth. And that went all back to a lab uh, somewhere there for the state of Alaska. And they're analyzing, you know, what kind of minerals and so forth do we have as natural resources here in Alaska. And of course, um, some of that would be, where do we have gold sure. in Alaska? Because gold is uh, still uh, fairly popular up there and, and common and not real difficult to find. Anyway, so Bob's job, um, his day job, I guess you would call it, was working for the state uh, collecting minerals. 
Well, because he's traveling all over the state and he's in wilderness area, a lot of these places where really not a lot of people had ever been before, he had a lot of stories. And so Bob had, um, (laughs) I guess, kind of a part-time job of writing these stories and they were published in the Alaska Magazine. And so anyone that uh, subscribed to that magazine would uh, get uh, firsthand stories of this guy out here in the wilderness uh, as he's collecting samples. Well, uh, along with that, um, Bob ran a trap line from his house, and it was quite a long trap line, but um, he would go up through one valley and circle around through some mountains, and I believe came out a different valley, and that was kind of his standard route uh, setting traps. And so um, when Lewis and I, the Green Bray guy, uh, was uh, talking about trapping that uh, we uh used bob as a consultant on that you know as to mm-hmm. uh, what are we going to need and so forth and and so bob was a a great mentor in that area but uh one of the things that really impressed me about bob was when your mom and i got up there the church was still under construction and we were meeting in what was referred to as the lodge which was down over a hill and uh actually right next to a little um um, I want to say airport, but it's just a, a runway for local people with small planes to to land on. But anyway, so we're meeting in the lodge as we're finishing up at the church. And the time came when we had to put a vent in the peak of the church building on the, um, I guess that would be the south side of the building, um, the part that didn't face the highway. Anyway, um, so we had a bunch of scaffolding and everything and to get up there. But the way things were, that scaffolding wouldn't quite reach to where where it was comfortable for me to cut this hole. And I'm leaning as far as I can to the left and trying to hang on to the scaffolding. And I'm right-handed and I'm trying to cut this hole in the side of the building and it's just not going well. I mean, it's kind of scary hanging over the edge of that scaffolding like that and well, anyway, so Bob was up there, and he'd been doing something over on the other end of the scaffolding. And he looked over, and he says, well, here, Sheldon, let me do that. And Bob came over, and he cut that hole without any problem whatsoever. It was a beautiful thing to watch because Bob was left-handed. Mm-hmm. And so he was hanging on to the scaffolding with his right hand as he's leaning out over this vast open space. And he's cutting that hole. And so when Bob got done with that, here we are, the two of us, uh, they're on the top of that scaffolding. And I told Bob, I says, Bob, that was amazing. I says, now I know why God created left-handed people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, and I say that just to to point out the fact that all of us are created differently. And the fact that some people are right-handed and some people are left-handed, that gives right-handed people a certain advantage undoing certain things, but it's a disadvantage for doing other things. But yet God had gifted Bob by being left-handed, which made this job a piece of cake. Yeah, All of us are gifted in different ways, and it might be something physical like that, left-handed, right-handed, or whatever it is. But in any case, God has created each one of us different. And when we are willing to, in this case, we're building that church, uh, to use those differences um, for the for the kingdom work, man, it all turned out really great. 
Well, anyway, so yeah. that was kind of a, a fun thing for me to learn uh, that that's why God created left-handed people. <laughs> yeah, what a great well, another reminder, thing about Bob, especially in today's age. Where Bob asked me one time, he says, uh, "Sheldon, I'd like to take you fishing." Now he had been, uh, like I said, all over Alaska, and so he knows where where there's fish. And so um, Bob says, "I want to take you fishing," but he says, "Before I do, I've got to teach you something. I need you to come over to my house." And Bob and Betty, Betty um, lived in a log cabin. Uh, in Sutton, Michigan, which is just north of um, uh, Palmer, where we were living at the time. And uh, so he invited us up to their cabin. And we went up there one evening, had uh, uh, had supper with them. And Bob got a bunch of stuff out that I really had not seen before. And he says, I need to teach you how to tie flies. Well, I never tied a fly in my life. I'd heard about people fly fishing, but um, this is the dead of winter. And I'm thinking, how do you go fly fishing in the dead of winter? <laughs> and he says, no. He says, um, I'm going to teach you how to tie this certain fly. Because he says, that's what the fish are going to be looking for this time of year. He says, um, those things will, I believe they would hatch out in the water. And um, later in the spring, after everything thaws out, then they would um, they'd basically become insects that would fly. But for now, they're going to be living in the water. Mm -hmm. And so he says, um, I'm going to teach you how to tie these things. He says, that's kind of the ultimate thing is to take a bear hook, make it look like this particular type of bug, make it convincing enough that it fools the fish so that fish thinks that that really is that kind of bug and you'll catch them. So he says, that's kind of the ultimate. Can you be successful in taking a bear hook and fooling the fish? <laughs> I wish I had video of that and wished I knew what kind of bug it was. But um, Bob tied one, and then he uh, had me tie the next one. And my first one certainly didn't look like his. But after two or three of them, they started looking pretty good. And Bob says, all right, I want you to make up uh, some extra one of these because uh, tomorrow we're going out fishing. Well, right. it was really neat. We went back to our place that night, but the next morning I was back at Bob's place and he took me to a lake that was all frozen over and everything. And we had to hike back in there a ways. But um, and remember, this is in the in wintertime, so there's not a whole lot of daylight. So uh, we were basically hiking back in there before mm -hmm. it was really what you'd call daylight. And it was just uh, getting light when we got to the yeah. lake and we cut the holes and my, oh my, Bob and I are both yanking fish out of those holes right and left. In a couple of hours, we both had our limit. He says, well, he says, at this point, we got to quit. He says, let's go back to my place. We'll get them all cleaned up. We'll get them in the freezer and we'll go back out this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's exactly what we did. We went back to his house and cleaned those fish and got them all packaged up um, and in the freezer. And had lunch, and he took me to a different lake in the afternoon. Well, I guess those fish were really looking for breakfast and maybe already had their lunch because that afternoon uh, we only caught a couple of fish. <laughs> but it was still a lot of fun, and um, uh, I appreciate Bob taking the time to take a young guy like me and say, hey, let me teach you something. And you know, there's a lot of things mm -hmm. that um, older guys can teach younger guys. And Bob certainly had knowledge of um, and skills in areas that I never even thought about. But I appreciate him taking the time and sharing those with me. And and it certainly made a great memory um, 
catching those fish. And I think I've got a, a picture of those um, that morning that uh, maybe I can put on Facebook when we uh, get ready to air this podcast. But anyway, so that was kind of a fun thing. So that's some of the, my, my memories of, of Bob and Betty. Another one that we didn't talk about was um, after Karen was born, um, Vicky's mom and my mom had both come to Alaska. Actually, I don't think I mentioned it before and had mentioned that my mom came. But uh, it was just today, uh, your mom said that, oh, yeah, remember when Karen was born, your mom came, and so did Aunt Ruth. And I'd kind of forgot about that. Oh, okay. Um, Ruth lived back in West Virginia. And if I remember the relationship correct, uh, my mom and Ruth were cousins, but they were close and spent a lot of time together mm -hmm. growing up and so forth and, and over the years. And so when um, Karen was born, you know, my mom was talking to Ruth apparently on the phone and said, hey, I'm going to be going to Alaska. You know, we got this new grandbaby. And that was you know, my mom's first grandchild. And so Ruth says, well, you can't be traveling up there by yourself. Why don't I go with you? And so she came to Michigan and then uh, the sure. two of them came to Alaska. Well, anyway, um, so they were there for a That's couple great. of weeks. And um, then after they left, then Vicky's mom came up. And so uh, both of those mothers were there to uh, help with our first baby. And then after you were born, um, my mom came back up, but um, uh, Vicky's mom didn't. I think she would have wanted to, but uh, I think dad kind of had the idea that, well, making a trip to Alaska every time these uh, two have another baby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was great having the moms up there and uh, helping out uh, with things that we didn't really know about. One of the things that we uh, didn't know about, yeah. uh, we learned within just a few months after we were up there, was um, apparently way back in time, you know, people were getting to Alaska and they found that the, the natives of Alaska were really healthy and they didn't have any scurvy or anything. And man, they're going through these long winters. And how are they staying so healthy? And what they discovered was that the natives were eating rose hips. Um, that's kind of hmm. the bud. I don't know what you call it. It's left over after the blossom of a rose. And it gets this bulge on the stem right underneath where the blossom was. And it's called a rose hip. And those things are packed with vitamin C. And the natives were making all kinds of things out of rose hips. And that's how they were staying healthy, you know, with the vitamin C content that uh, it's not like mm -hmm. eating an orange or something. They didn't couldn't grow those. But vitamin C is just uh, one of the main things in a rose hip. And so someone told us about that and said, you need to learn how to make things out of rose hips. And we're like, <laughs> OK. And so they took us um, to a place there and um, uh, not too far from where we live there in the uh, Matsu Valley where they said, just hundreds of wild roses and probably thousands of rose hips on all these bushes. Hmm. And you get them when they're nice and bright red. That's when they're really ripe. And we harvested a bunch of those things and they taught us how to make um, rose hip jelly. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, peanut butter and jelly and you put rose hip stuff on there. Now you got vitamin C. So that makes it a healthy thing. <laughs> but uh, one of the most unique things that, um, they taught us how to make was rosehip ketchup. Yeah, who would have thought? Oh my! 
Now, I don't know. I guess if you Google it, you could probably find all kinds of recipes for it today. But we'd never heard of rosehip ketchup. But my, oh, my, that stuff was delicious. And so um, we made up a mm. whole bunch of stuff, and that got us through uh, uh, that first winter. And then uh, that next winter, we're back uh, looking for more rose hips uh, that fall and uh, getting things ready again. Well, anyway, so that's uh, another little fun thing. Now, remember that canoe that we hauled up there? That entire... Yep. Now, the canoe that you... You had a boat, right? Yeah. And then, then you I bought a boat or... when I was in high school. Yep. Yeah. There's a little I think story we there. talked about that in an earlier yep. podcast where you know, I was kind of debating, you know, do I buy yep. a boat or do I buy a motorcycle? And... Uh, as I shared that, those two options with my folks, they kind of, they were voting for the boat. <laughs> and anybody that loves sure. their kid yep. probably uh, doesn't really want their kid on a motorcycle. Um, yeah, we call those things murder cycles. Uh, they are very <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, they are a lot of fun, and I yeah. get it. But um, anyway, so my po my folks had kind of encouraged to go to the for the boat, which I did. And then um, while we are in college, um, sold that boat. And use that money to buy a canoe. And then we hauled that canoe on the roof of that um, Toyota pickup all the way to Alaska. Got it up there, never used it. Got it got it oh, up there, but we're too busy <laughs> trying to survive. You know, and there's no yeah. real practical use, I guess, for a canoe other than pleasure. Well, wait a minute. There's down on the Kenai Peninsula, there's, a, a don't quote me on this, I didn't look it up, but it seems like there's seven lakes that are all connected and you can put a canoe in and go through all these seven lakes. Well, the fall of, uh, what had that been? Uh, the fall of 76, um, Chuck Costa and I were talking and Chuck would like to get a moose. And I believe this was right after I'd got that one moose that we talked about on an earlier podcast. And so I'm kind of thinking, well, we're all set, but mm -hmm. yeah, Chuck and Ivy aren't. And yeah, if, I went with Chuck. Maybe we could get a moose and, and that would help them out. So we decided we'd take, I believe it was uh, like a three-day weekend, uh, three days that Chuck had off anyway. And of course, I'm still teaching school. But anyway, um, we had this this three days to go the Seven Lake uh, route, whatever it was. And so we took the canoe. My, oh, my. <laughs> Some of those uh, places, you've got a portage all of your equipment and the canoe. From one lake to the next. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, how's the two of us going to carry a canoe and all of our backpacking stuff and our guns and everything else? And anyway, so we found out that um, that's quite a quite a job. <laughs> and we made the mm -hmm. whole route. We never saw one moose or bear. Yeah, so it's kind of oh, a wasted my. trip. And <laughs> if I recall correct, that is the only time that we had that canoe in the water the entire time that we were up there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Probably a good thing you didn't catch it. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it gotten creative, I'm sure. But um, yeah, it's probably a good thing we didn't get a moose, yeah. you know, back there in the middle of, you know, as far away from civilization as you could possibly get. Yeah, and I don't remember ever seeing anybody else uh, back in there on, on that trip either. It was three days. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so we still had the canoe. And remember, we had invited people from church to come over and, hey, just make an offer. It doesn't have to be a reasonable offer, but if you see something here you want, you know. Well, there was a couple from church that um, had said, well, what are you going to do with that canoe? And I said, well, I hadn't really planned on selling it. I guess I could. But um, I'll tell you what, uh, you live on a lake. 
and they lived uh, right on Big Lake. And Big Lake is earned its name by its size. Okay. And they had a place right on Big Lake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're asking about the canoe. So I said, well, tell you what, why don't you just take the canoe and use it? And maybe someday I'll get back to Alaska. And if I still want the canoe, I'll haul it back to Michigan. But who knows when that'll ever be. But between now and then, you just go ahead and take it and, and put it to good use. And so they said, well, okay. So they hauled that canoe back to their place. And um, as we stayed in, in contact with them over the years, uh, they put it to a lot of use. And that's exactly yeah, what it was intended <laughs> to, you know, intended for, was to be used. And here we are, we lived up here all this time and only put it in the water once. And so, um, you know, we really didn't have a use for it, and especially to haul it all the way back to Michigan. Uh, you know, I knew I wasn't going to have leisure time just to go boating. And so I left that canoe with them. I mentioned that because um, that's not the end of the canoe story. That's where we're going to end it for today. But that canoe is going to show up uh, later on as well. Um, let me end with this. People that live in Alaska, especially those that have lived there a long time, are referred to as sourdoughs. And if you talk to a sourdough and uh, uh, get the true story of the meaning of a sourdough, um, they'll probably tell you something like this. A sourdough is a person that's soured on Alaska, but they don't have the dough to go. <laughs> and so they end up staying. Well, um, somewhere along the line, um, yep. uh, somebody gave us some sourdough starter to make sourdough bread and sourdough biscuits and sourdough. I mean, you can make all kinds of things out of sourdough. Mm-hmm. And um, we were going to be going, uh, if I remember the, the whole story correct, um, we had vacation Bible school to do or, or camp. And anyway, we we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And there was um, uh, someone that was going to stay at our place. Uh, we're Yeah, we're renting and so forth. But uh, they were going to stay there while we're gone, knowing that uh, you know, we're going to be back soon anyway. Well, lo and behold, they're cleaning out the refrigerator and came across this <clears throat> sourdough starter <laughs> i guess it was in the refrigerator anyway they came across this stuff and when they opened it up and smelled it is like you gotta be kidding this stuff is old and rotten or whatever and they threw it out right well this was sourdough starter yeah. that we had gotten from someone else who had it from a like a real sourdough and someone that lived up there for a long time and if i remember correct when we got it mm-hmm. this sourdough was 75 years old yeah and so if we still had that today i mean that would be what like 100 it'd be over 100 (laughs) years old 125 years or something yeah but uh, anyway so um when we got back they told us yeah we cleaned out things and got rid of that stuff that was all and your mom's like you gotta be kidding (laughs) yeah that was valuable stuff (laughs) anyway so uh, we lost the sourdough and i wished we had some now and and I guess you can start your own or there's people on the internet that'll send you some that, you know, supposedly the older it is, the better it is. So if you can find some that's 75 or hundred years old, sure. you got some good stuff. Well, anyway, so that's kind of our detour for today and just <laughs> thought uh, we'd touch on some of those things. And um, uh, next time, let's get back to that North Dakota border because uh, I'm kind of anxious to get back to Michigan. Yep. That sounds good. That sounds good. All right. Well, let's put it in park here and,
Eh? Yes, is Grandpa wisely. If it was meant to be controlled, it would have come with the control. <laughs>